Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha, and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is comic creator, producer, and writer Robert Kirkman. You may know Robert as the creator of The Walking Dead, but he joins me today to chat about his new show, Invincible, based off the graphic novel of the same name, coming to Prime Video. Robert and I talk about falling asleep to zombie movies, how he reacts whenever he sees people dressed up as characters from shows he created, and the movies that change his life. If you're enjoying the show and haven't given us a review yet, please do or join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Movies That Changed My Life. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Robert Kirkman. Good morning. I am a huge fan of your graphic novels, uh, The Walking Dead, Outcast, Marvel Zombies I liked way back when as well. But today we're going to be talking about your first big, big run, which is now going to be an Amazon original, Invincible. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, man. Happy to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I it demand it will be a lot of fun. Let's make it a lot of fun. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you it will be. Um, we're going to chat about three amazing movies that change your life. Uh, the first film, this is one that I hadn't seen, uh, mostly because I just didn't grow up with this animated series. Or th- I was going to say, mostly because you're not 40. Well, I, I grew up with uh, the Turtles. I mean, maybe back here you can read that. I'm a big Turtles guy, so that was my main focus. But uh, we'll talk about 1986's The Transformers, the movie, which is the animated uh, kind of series finale to the original TV show that came out way back when. Uh, it was directed by Nelson Shin, written by Ron Friedman, starring... Orson Welles, yes, Robert Stack, Leonard Nimoy, uh, Norman Alden, uh, Eric Idle pops up in there, a whole cast of characters. And the the plot is, the Autobots must stop a colossal planet-consuming robot, played by Orson Welles, who goes after the Autobot matrix of leadership. At the same time, they must defend themselves against an all-out attack from the Decepticons. Um, So talk to me about Transformers. I mean, you are a wildly famous comic book writer, no surprise, a comic book-based uh, you know, film pops up in here. So, so talk to me about Transformers. <laughs> More of a toy-based film, but, uh, and, or but a toy based a <laughs> um, But no, I think, uh, uh, oddly enough, I've, I've been thinking a lot about Transformers, the movie, lately. Uh, I watched it again recently, 
And uh, I have to say, I think it might be, it's definitely the basis for what I seek in entertainment, like what I want Mm -hmm. the most out of entertainment. And uh, I think it might be the basis for like everything that I write. I think it's the, like, like uh, the kind of stories that I tell, I think if you trace it it all the way back to Transformers, the movie, like that's the origin of, of how I tell a story and, and, and what I strive to accomplish when I tell a story. Um, Because I, I had to be seven or eight years old when I saw it. Uh, let's see, 86. Yeah, I was born in 78. So that that's that's right. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw it in the theaters and I was a huge Transformers fan. I'd been watching the Transformers uh, cartoon. Uh, Transformers toys were expensive. So I had a lot of GoBots, uh, but I had a few Transformers <laughs> toys. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, I was the audience for this movie. And, but minute three of that movie, <laughs> The Transformers that you've been watching on TV and the Transformers that you've been playing with, uh, the Transformers who have fought each other constantly in the TV show uh, are suddenly dying left and right. And Mm -hmm. their eyes are going dark and they've got like dark red smoke uh, pouring out of their mouths and they're just collapsing. And you're like, what, 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 what's, what's happening? Like, what, what is going on? Like, I, I don't understand this. This is, and like, I remember feeling numb in the movie theater because it's like, I don't think I had experienced death and entertainment in any kind of serious way. And, and uh, uh, it was just, it was absolutely like jarring and, and, and mind numbing. And you're like, I don't know what I'm, I'm seeing. And then, so they have this amazing, like climactic scene, like early in the movie where Optimus Prime comes (laughs) to save the day. And then Optimus Prime succumbs to his wounds and dies. And like the saddest, my dad makes fun of me to this day because he looks over (laughs) at me in the theater and I am just bawling my eyes out. <laughs> a gray robot, gray robot makes you cry. This is my son. Oh my God, what have I done? You know, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, and then, and then these, you know, new characters who I could not, you know, love more, like show up mm-hmm. and start doing awesome shit and they come in and save the day and matrix to leadership and, and all that stuff. But, uh, but my God, like the 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 fact that so many beloved characters are are, are viciously taken from you, um, you know, I think you could probably draw a pretty straight line to Walking Dead uh, on, yeah. on that front. Um, but uh, uh, and 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 nothing entertains me more than sitting down to watch something and being given something that I'm not expecting. And mm-hmm. so that's something that I try to do with literally everything that I do. You know, I try to, you know, like I, I work with, you know, different kinds of ways to surprise people in comics. I've launched comics without telling people that comics are coming. I've ended comics mm-hmm. without telling people that comics are ending. Like I'm all, all I'm ever trying to do is make people feel the way I felt the first time I watched Transformers the movie when I was eight years old. I mean, I'm familiar with the Transformers. I just didn't grow up a huge fan. So when Optimus Prime like you said, dies in the first couple minutes. I think after, you know, my years and years of movie and TV watching, I expected him to kind of, at the end of the movie, they get the Matrix back and like he comes back. <laughs> but that doesn't happen. Like it's just, we get we get Rodimus Prime all like jacked up. Yeah. Uh, leading the squad of like the, you know, Transformers 2.0 or the, or the new leadership of Transformers. And when it ended, I was kind of like, wait a minute. Like Megatron's gone, <laughs> Optimus Prime gone, like uh, you know Wheeljack is gone, like all these characters just like never came back. And I think that's like so cool, especially in a kids movie, right? Because like you said, 
uh, kids like play with these toys every day. And I think nowadays a lot of films would, like I said, bring them back or have some sort of way to keep them involved in the story. But similar to Rick Grimes, uh, among many other characters that you have in Walking Dead, they're just gone. And it's just like, deal with it. This is just sort of the way that the show works. And it, it works perfectly. Um, it doesn't cheapen cheapen the the story or anything for the audience. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was. I love that you said it, it ties because that was something I noticed immediately. Yeah. Also, I have to cynically add, um, it's all about selling toys. So that movie yeah, is right. designed to say, hey, kids, all the toys you have suck. You don't want to play with them anymore. They're all dead. Nobody <laughs> likes those. You want to go out and buy these new toys. That's why Optimus Prime doesn't come back, come back at the end. Not because they're trying to do some kind of like grand storytelling thing where they're trying to like make the movie have impact. It's because they don't have an Optimus Prime toy to sell you right now. They'll bring him back later when he has a new toy. Right now, they want you to buy Rodimus Prime. Rodimus Prime saved the day. He's got the Matrix leadership now. Go out and buy that guy. And to a certain extent, that informs my like opinions on tie-in merchandise because I think that there mm. is a huge value to tie-in merchandise that makes you even more invested in the story and makes you enjoy the story more. Like I don't see that as necessarily evil. Um, you know, it's a little capitalist and you know, not the not the best thing in the world, but you know what, what? What can you do? Like, if if I hold a Luke Skywalker action figure yeah. while I'm watching Star Wars, I'm more invested in Star Wars. It's more fun. The movie more. Like there is there there is a value to that. Totally. Yeah. No. I mean, look look at my back wall here. You know, I'm agreeing with you on all this sort of stuff. There you go. You know. You know. So before we get to your second and third movies, uh, let's chat a little bit about Invincible. I've been lucky enough to see the first three episodes and something I love about it that you're able to tell from the trailer, but when you're watching the show, it's really obvious is that it is very true and honest to the original comic book. I mean, obviously the animation is the same or very similar. I should say yeah. uh, the story arc is very similar. Um, something that stands out is like the, the violence and the action <laughs> is all, is all there, which I'm sure people before the start of the show were going to be like, well, hopefully it doesn't get toned down because that's like a lot of the fun of the comic. Yeah. If anything, it gets toned up. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, because you get to see it all happening in real time. Exactly. Um, so was that fun for you to be able to get to see it not only just become a reality, but come like it literally looks like your comic book was the storyboard for for what I had seen? Yeah, I mean, that's because the team behind the comic is very intimately involved in this show. So uh, mm -hmm. Corey Walker, the co-creator of the series and the designer of most of the characters, is the lead character designer. So a lot of the visuals that, you know, seem very reminiscent from the comics are because they are, you know, from the same guy. Uh, right. And then Ryan Otley is a uh, consulting producer. Uh, you know, who's, you know, giving his thumbs up and checking over things and, and uh, you know, is very much a part of the process. Uh, I wrote the uh, premiere episode and the finale of the first season. Uh, so, uh, of course, I'm going to cue close to the comics because that's less work. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's been a lot of fun. We got a great team, and uh, you know it's uh, it, it's it's going to be really cool. Mm -hmm. um, great team behind the scenes, and you have such such a great vocal acting team as well. I mean, Stephen Young, J.K. Simmons, Sandra Oh, Zazie Beetz, Walton Goggins, Gillian Jacobs, Jason Manzukis. I mean, the list goes on and on. Andrew Reynolds, Zachary Quinto, uh, Mark Hamill, Seth Rogen, just like all these incredible incredible voice actors. Uh, and when I watch it, it's like the voices matched perfectly. Uh, there was never any sort of like visual or like audio confusion for me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how I pictured Rex Blood, I guess. Um, 
you know, what was the process like for finding these perfect voice actors like along the way for you? Well, I kind of had that same, uh, uh, you know, that same experience where it was like, oh, yeah, this is the perfect voice for this person. Like, I, I never really thought about that. You know, I didn't spend mm-hmm. a lot of time thinking about how Rex Blode sounded when he spoke because <laughs> there is no sound in comics. Um, you know, we developed a personality and we tried to make him as unique a character as possible. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of like work into like, what's his vocal tics, you know, because the beauty of comics is that, uh you know, the reader gets to decide on that stuff. They get to decide how fast a character talks, how slow a character talks, what kind of inflection they put on various different words. Uh, there's only so much a, a writer can do uh, in like pushing those things through in comics. So when it came time to do the voice casting, um, you know, it was it was a little wide open. It was like, well, you know, who are the best people? Who do we think can do a good job? And uh, we worked with a casting director named uh, Linda LeMontagne. And she would basically come in and be like, look, you know, I think I can get these people for this role. I think I can get this person for this role. And we'd be like, oh, man, would, yeah, would, would Walton Goggins be like, a, yeah, he would be a great Cecil. That would be that would be amazing. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And, you know, we had some pie in the sky like, oh, my God, wouldn't it be great if J.K. Simmons could be Nolan? You know, like just because we knew that J.K. had the, the range to handle all aspects of that character in a very interesting way. Uh, and, uh, you know, then, then we were able to get him, uh, you know, from, from minute one, I wanted Steven Young for invincible just because, you know, I have a very close relationship with him and worked with him for, you know, many, many years. And I knew that, uh, you know, he would devote, uh, you know, what was needed to portray this character that's going to basically, uh, over the course of, I don't know, I'm going to say a hundred seasons. Uh, that's an old joke from back when I was promoting the first season of Walking Dead. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and that kind of turned out to be true. Would you look at that? <laughs> but uh, uh, well, knock on wood. But uh, uh, you know, Mark's character—if anyone's read the comics—like he gets mm-hmm. put through the ringer uh, and uh, evolves and changes possibly more than any character I've ever written. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wanted somebody who could, you know portray all different aspects of that character as the as the series progresses and steven is perfect for that is there like one thing you really learned when bringing invincible to life that you learned from the walking dead that you think you know a lesson you learned along the way that made the process better or you think more successful for you i think you know the the nuts and bolts stuff is uh you know i got to work in a writer's room on walking dead and i got to work around other writers and i got to uh uh you know learn more about my craft and so I feel like I improved as a writer exponentially the mm-hmm. years I spent in that writer's room. Also, um, going from writing dialogue on paper to writing dialogue that's actually spoken by actors, I think, uh, mm-hmm. uh, taught me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, uh, definitely a way that you write dialogue in comics that, you know, moves the story along and, and uh, you know, facilitates the, the, you know, like seeing things on, on a page. Uh, that sound horrible when you have a human being saying them out loud, as I learned in some of my earlier scripts uh, for TV. Uh, so I learned that kind of stuff. But I think uh, the biggest thing that I think helped Invincible is I learned how to, uh, you know, adapt my own material more. Uh, it doesn't really show in The Walking Dead uh, because, you know, I was part of a much larger team, but I was the lunatic on the writer's room that was like, let's kill rick like who knows what'll happen it'll be crazy let's make another guy main character like who cares like it'll be fun uh and so when it comes to invincible i think i have a little bit uh better handle on 
no, it's like just because you've written this story before, like you don't need to completely like redo it so that you're entertained. Mm-hmm. Like there is an audience mm-hmm. out there that hasn't read the comics. The comic fans <laughs> do like to see these scenes again. Like uh, just because, you know, like I, I just wasn't aware on Walking Dead um, just how much my own personal like drive to be entertained mm-hmm. by my own work was forcing <laughs> me to uh, want to change things up. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I think Invincible is better, better because of that, you know, that's, that's why we're, you know, and, 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 you know, that's not to say that we're following the comics exactly. We're changing things, uh, quite a bit here and there. Um, but the, the core, the core storyline is, is intact. And a lot of those big moments that you're wanting to see and hoping to see, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get to see. Yeah. That leads me to my last question here. Is there something that you're most excited for like diehard fans to see in season one? that you can hint to. I think that there is a scene that everyone expects to be in season one. Um, it, there's a chance they're right. And uh, seeing that scene come together uh, was just, uh, I mean, there's, there's two of them really. And I guess if you're, uh, uh, you know, a diehard fan of the, of the comics, you, you know, the, the setup scene to the twist and then the resolution mm-hmm. scene to the twist uh, and, and watching both of those come together, uh, you know, were, were pretty spectacular. And I think that, uh, you know, our directors and animators and storyboard artists and voice actors and, you know, animation studio and everybody really kind of rallied to come together to, you know, put these hugely monumental, insanely like action packed and, and very emotional scenes uh, together. And so, uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, that stuff is really cool. Uh, if you're a fan of the comics, I can say, you know, uh, uh, we pulled it off. It's super awesome. Just wait. Um, and, and having done those scenes, you know, there's so much coming in the series. Uh, so yeah. many different things. Uh, you know, I'll go ahead and spoil that. We don't get to the conquest storyline in season one, mm, but uh, okay. my God, when we get to the conquest storyline, that is going to be a lot of fun. So, so that'll, that'll keep everyone eager for the next season then. Yeah. Season six or so. <laughs> Invincible comes out on Prime Video on uh, March 26th. It's going to have eight episodes, and I'm very excited to see the rest of them. And we get three episodes on that first day, and then we finish weekly after that. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. Nice. And those first three episodes are going to be hard to not watch the first three in a row. So when you start them, just make sure you got you have time to get them all out of the way. Sweet. Excellent. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Uh, let's move on to your second title here, which uh, I have seen. is 1992's Army of Darkness, directed by Sam Raimi, written by Sam Raimi and Ivan Raimi, starring the legendary Bruce Campbell, Embeth Davids, and Marcus Gilbert. And the story is a sardonic hardware store clerk is accidentally transported to 1300 AD where he must retrieve the Necronomicon and battle an army of the dead so he can return home. That is the real tagline and that is the real plot of the story for those who haven't seen it. I can see massive influence of this in your work, but please tell me about uh, your your relationship with Army of Darkness. Yeah, so Army of Darkness, one, I didn't know that it was part of a trilogy. I definitely didn't know that it yep. was the end of a trilogy the first time I saw it. <laughs> I think my uh, dad rented it from a... I have a lot of relationships with movies where my dad would rent something from a video store and watch it with my mother, and then the next morning he'd be like, look, man, I know you got school, but uh, you got to watch this at some point today because I got to take it back or they're going to charge me an extra $3. So I, I got to take it back tonight, but you got to watch this movie. Like, like this movie is going to be great. Uh, he did that with uh, Dead Alive, the Peter Jackson movie, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I was, de- I, was like, I was like 14 at the time. And he was like, guy gets a chainsaw, straps it around his neck, hacks up a bunch <laughs> of zombies. You're going to love this. It's, it's the best. Uh, so, so yeah, I have a lot, a lot of relationships like that. But he did that with, with movies. He did that with Army of Darkness. And uh, uh, so I, you know, watched it, absolutely loved it, uh, ended up buying it at a, uh, uh, I think, I mean, I feel like that was earlier on. So it was like this movie that I would watch is like a, a, you know, when did that movie come out? 90? 1992. 92? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was 14 years old. So, uh, so yeah, so I, you know, watch it and then fall in love with it and, and read it a couple of times. Eventually, I feel like in like 96 or so, I, I buy it on VHS so that I actually own it. From that point on, throughout my like junior and senior year of high school, I put that movie on every night when I'm going to bed. And I would set my uh, TV, had a little timer on it. So I'd set my TV to turn itself off because I'd fall asleep. But uh, I would I watched that movie almost every night for like a year and a half. Um, you know, I could almost uh, recite it verbatim. I mean, I definitely could a long time ago. I could get a few, you know, lines here and there. Uh, but uh, uh, I just I just loved the structure of that movie. I loved everything about that movie. Uh, the comedy in that movie, I think, really, you know, like there's really serious stakes in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like like you mm-hmm. do feel like Ash could die. There are other people that are dying that's very important. So there's like a real dramatic core to the movie where things actually matter. But at the same time, Ash is this idiot that is constantly messing up and it's very funny. And so, uh, you know, I definitely see that with invincible invincible has like these huge stakes, but you know, you don't, you don't risk, you don't miss an opportunity to stop and go, Hey, this situation is really silly. Just wanted to you know, let you know. Um, but no, I mean, that movie really blew me away in that, like, uh, uh, you know, not knowing that it's part of a trilogy, that opening sequence just seems like, wait, did you just give me like a, a eight minute movie before this movie? Like, this is amazing. Yeah, and then just expect you to buy in him falling into a time warp just right away. No sort of like, you're either with us or you're with, or you're not with us at this point. So just get ready. And he's just in the 1300s and it's perfect. Yeah. Oh, and it's just, I mean, you know, then they're, they're like, uh, uh, the guy throws him the chainsaw in the pit. <laughs> And he jumps up and catches the chainsaw perfectly on his stump. And then the chainsaw is his hand. And you're like, this is all fine. This is fine. I think that's another thing. Like narrative shorthand 
is mm-hmm. uh, something that I, I wholeheartedly believe in. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need you to stop and explain to me how he attached a chainsaw to his hand, <laughs> like how that works, how it stays on his hand. Like, I don't care. He has a chainsaw on his hand and it's awesome. Like in the context of the story, it works. And I do that constantly at my work. Like if you're invested in the story, like you don't need to know exactly why something is happening. You you know, that's, that's, that's not that important. Um, Some would say that's lazy writing, but I say it's efficient writing. Something that stood out to me when this uh, made your list is that I go to a lot of cons. The Walking Dead is always has a huge presence, just like not even just a booth, cosplayers, people dressed up. Uh, Army of Darkness and the Ash Evil Dead series has like an equal amount of cosplayers and people just always dressed up. So when you started attending these shows as a creator and being able to sign, you know, autographs for people who have your comic, was it sort of like a, like a, a wow moment for you when you're realizing that people uh, we're dressing up for your comics in the same way that people dress up for a movie that you used to put on every night, like when you went to sleep. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's super weird. It's definitely something I'm never going to get used to. Um, yeah. I mean, when you, when you're at a, a convention and you, you know, in my early convention experiences are sitting at a table being ignored. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that was my relationship to cons. And then, you know, five years later, I'm sitting at a table, uh, you know, where, where people are hounding me and people are walking by, uh, uh, you know, dressed like characters that, that I, you know, wrote stories about super, super nuts. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I never really drew the connection to, to army of darkness, but, uh, but yeah, that's just, uh, that's definitely crazy. And so is there any other type of storytelling mechanisms you had, you've learned, whether it's from the rest of the Ash series or just like Army of Darkness? I mean, you already talked about just efficiency in writing. I mean, this is a clean hour, 20 minutes. Uh, do you think you learned anything from like action or even just like monster creation from Army of Darkness that you've put into your writing? Well, I think one thing that, you know, is definitely obviously present is uh, with Walking Dead in, in particular is uh, uh, Walking Dead is very much... Uh, you know, inspired by the George Romero zombie films. You know, it mm-hmm. was my desire to see those films have like a cohesive cast that, you know, moves story to story. It's my desire mm-hmm. for those films to have uh, a never ending story that actually shows, you know, our characters, uh, uh, you know, surviving in this world. And so, uh, uh, so it's, it's clear that there's a Romero influence, but when you start looking at characters like the governor and Michonne and Negan and Ezekiel, and princess, when all of these characters that are larger than life, that aren't very realistic, that kind of enter into this world, uh, those are Ash. Like it's it's coming mm-hmm. up with like an iconic visual. It's coming up with a a character that you know just really kind of stands out and doesn't really fit in this world the way that Ash never really fit in the world of Evil Dead. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a there's a clear influence there. Um, you know, uh, the desire to be, you know, entertaining, to, to stretch realism uh, uh, for the sake of, you know, being compelling and being entertaining. I think that is a, a huge thing that comes from Army of Darkness. Yeah, I think Ash and Negan, visually, uh, the way their their characters hold their presence on the screen, there's just a lot of comparisons there. Um, so I, I totally see that. So I love that you brought that up, too. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So that was Army of Darkness from 1992. So let's go to our last film. This is 2008's Speed Racer, written and directed by the Wachowskis. 
uh, based off the original anime series by Tatsuo Yoshida and starring Emil Hirsch, Matthew Fox, Christina Ricci, uh, Susan Sarandon, Ariel Winter, uh, John Goodman, all sorts of people as well. And the plotline, like I said, based off an original anime, is a young driver named Speed Racer aspires to be the champion of the racing world with the help of family and his high-tech Mach 5 automobile. So this is one I hadn't seen, largely because my memory of it when it came out was people were saying, this is just like, it's just like too much, too much. Mm -hmm. And I finally watched it for this, and I was completely blown away. Like, <laughs> like it's hard for me to explain like what I was watching, but I wrote down, this is like an assault on my senses for two hours, and it was like amazing, amazing, amazing. And I really regret not watching this like in IMAX because you know I heard it was you'll make you dizzy and all sort of stuff. But wow, like what a movie! Uh, so so talk to me about Speed Racer. What was your relationship with this one? If someone told you that Speed Racer was a movie from like 2050 mm -hmm. that had like fallen through a portal, <laughs> and like this is what movies are now, uh, you'd be like, oh wow, that does look like a movie from the future. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah, I mean, you'd recognize John Goodman and maybe be like, well, that doesn't make sense. But you know, whatever. <laughs> maybe everybody's digital in the future. Who knows? <laughs> but. Uh, uh, no, I saw, I saw speed, you know, speed racer had the misfortune of coming out the week after Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And so this, you know, cultural like touch tone had happened. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the entire world was obsessed with Iron Man. And so the week after Iron Man, everyone was seeing Iron Man again, or people that were going to the movies having not seen Iron Man were seeing Iron Man because they were hearing all about Iron Man. And, uh, uh, and yeah, it's like you said, like all the reviews were like, what, what is this? It's too colorful. Mm -hmm. There's too much. Um, those people are, people are small minded. <laughs> Just dumb people. What are they, what are they talking about? So I didn't see speed racer until like two or three weeks after it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I love the Wachowskis. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, I, I thought the trailers looked spectacular. I'm not uh, very familiar with Speed Racer. Mm -hmm. Like, it was not a cartoon that was available to me growing up. I don't know where it was. It wasn't on TV, you know, in the uh, mid-80s that I saw. But uh, um, so, I, you know, I didn't really know anything about Speed Racer. I just loved the Wachowskis and, and wanted to see this movie. Uh, I've I think Mad Max Fury Road is the only time that I've felt similarly like watching a movie like you're in like minute four of the movie and you're like I hope this never ends <laughs> yeah. I've never seen anything like this before this is this is the best experience I've ever had in the theater I told people that if the theater had malfunctioned uh, right after the movie ended and they just started playing the movie again instead of showing the credits I would have just watched the movie a second time um, like I, I, I think the opening sequence of that movie is uh, a master class in storytelling mm -hmm. I think that uh, you know a lot of people say it's too much and maybe it is too much for for some people I, I don't know but it's like three different timelines happening at once <laughs> uh, all happening at the same time and there's like no like there's nothing telling you like uh, it, this is this year, this is this year, and this is this year. Other than the characters being different ages, right? And uh, uh, and 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 it's just like it 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 like introduces you to this world, it introduces you to uh, the way this racing works, it introduces you to this family, it introduces you to their entire like life story, uh, uh, like with just scenes overlapping scenes and people talking, and it's just like this uh absolutely amazing uh structure that mm -hmm. i think um 
I, I can't say that Speed Racer has inspired anything in my work because I don't think I will ever be able to accomplish anything <laughs> as as great as as the pedestal I put Speed Racer on. Um, I think that uh, uh, if anything, it's a benchmark that I, I hope to one day strive to reach. Like I don't think I could ever come up with an intro sequence as compact, as complex um as informative and as entertaining mm-hmm. as as what they do in that movie um you know like the the locker room sequence with Emil Hirsch mm-hmm. the like various different sports commentators talking the 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 tear that rolls down his cheek when he decides not to beat his brother's record who is like represented as a ghost car that he is interacting with while he is racing, while they are showing you that race, while they are showing you as a kid and his, and his relationship with his brother. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> um, Speed Racer is a movie I, I, I can't get through without crying multiple times um, just because I, I, I see uh, uh, the beauty in it mm-hmm. and it moves me every time. Uh, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I could, I could go on more, but I feel like, uh, people are going to be making fun of me <laughs> <laughs> no. because I love this movie. I love this movie more than my children. No, that's, that's not true. But, uh, uh, but no, I, I think it is, uh, it should be in a museum. Mm-hmm. I think it is, uh, if you look at the history of cinema and where cinema started and, and, uh, you know, the different eras of cinema, uh, leading up to to Speed Racer, Speed Racer does not fit mm-hmm. anywhere. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a piece all of its own, um, and uh, you know I, I don't I don't know if there will ever be anything like it again. And if anyone who is listening to this is like, this guy is insane. What is he talking about? I haven't seen this movie. I just heard it was bad. Go, Go watch, watch this movie. Yeah. What are you doing? Stop listening to this podcast and watch <laughs> this movie. My God. I mean, you basically hit all the points that I had talked about. Like the opening scene was just incredible to me. I was not prepared. And I was like, oh, like, I guess this is just like the, you know, opening up with the racing scene. It'll mellow out after this. And like, nope, I was completely wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it gets even more crazy because then he leaves like his little daydream of in class and you go out to the street and he lives on like an animated street block and like all this stuff just keeps happening. Um but I like that you brought up the Mad Max reference because during the desert rate sequence here in Speed Racer, I actually said I would be surprised if Mad Max Fury Road took some inspiration from this whole thing. I mean, the way the weapons are coming out of the cars and even like just like the way some of the designs of the cars even seem like there was like influence there. So I like that you said that. I, I know that Mad Max Fury Road was deep in development for many, many years, mm. well before Speed Racer ever came out. Okay. That said... You cannot deny that George Miller had to have seen this movie and was like, wait a minute. Yeah. 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 I could do that. I mean, especially the the sandstorm sequence yes. in, in Mad Max exactly. when things get like really colorful. Um, you know, like it, it, it yeah, I mean, it, it, one of the, you know, Speed Racer had to have informed some aspect of the production on, on Mad Max Fury Road. It's, it's insane if that, if that's a coincidence. The resurgence of Speed Racer as led by Robert Kirkman here on Movies That Changed My Life. And I'm here for it. One of the greatest movies ever made, yes. if not the greatest movie exactly. ever made. Uh, let's go to our last question here. So, um, before we wrap, we love asking you selected the Transformers movie. Army of Darkness and Speed Racer as the three movies that changed your life. Do you see a through line between these three films as to why you wanted to talk about them today? I tried to pick them 
I tried to not think about like, I mean, obviously I'm like, you know, I really love Kubrick movies mm-hmm. and I want people to think I'm smart. So <laughs> I should probably, you know, say one of those like 2001. I've seen that movie a thousand times. Yeah. I love it. Um, you know, the shining great movie. I love Tarantino movies. It's weird that I don't have one of those in the mix. <laughs> um, but, but I, I, I really did think about the things that excite me the most and the things that inform, you know, me as a person, what I like in entertainment, who, you know, what I, what I strive for in my, uh, in my work, what excites me about my work. Um, and I think I just like nutty bonkers stuff. Um, you know, again, like I, I, I do like, you know, like I love Spielberg. Like I, you know, I like all the stuff that, you know, most people like, but the things that really stand out to me are the, the quirky things that are, you know, like changing things a little bit, doing things a little bit differently. And, and, uh, uh, you know, those are the movies that I'll watch on a loop over and over and over and over again. You know, like I, I can't necessarily watch 2001 twice <laughs> in one day. Uh, but, uh, uh, speed racer, I swear I could watch it eight times in one day. Um, you know, you just watch different parts of the screen and you're like, okay, I didn't see that thing there. That's, that's really cool. And, you know, there's different parts of all the races that are happening in the background that you can like zoom in on and it's, uh, it's spectacular, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I like uh, bonkers, nutty, weird movies, I guess. Well, uh, f- folks can thank your love of bonkers, nutty, and weird movies uh, when they finally get to see Invincible come to life. Uh, once again, that comes to Prime Video. Uh, the first three episodes will premiere on March 26th, and then we get weeklies after that uh, through the first season. Any Any last things about Invincible? I think that uh, another through line is that Invincible, you know, it, it, it has some aspects of time travel. It has uh, uh, crazy action like Speed Racer. It has uh, moments of horror like Army of Darkness. It has very shocking and, and brutal deaths that definitely stick and are not undone. Uh, not because we're trying to sell toys yet, but we will eventually be trying to sell toys. Um, but uh, uh, so there is a through line for all three of these movies that does uh, inform Invincible in, a, in in some really cool ways. So so yeah, you can you can see all that uh, all that influence present in this series, which is coming out on March 26. And everybody should watch it on Amazon Prime. Robert, this was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for hanging out again. Congrats on the release of Invincible, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Robert and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list. 